Wow, man, what a cool story. I didn't know that story, Ron. That's awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Okay, that was sad, tired, and sick. How you doing? I'd like to welcome all of you who don't own a lake house or a boat. I'm really glad this Labor Day weekend you chose to be here with us. I'm excited to be with you on your anniversary month. You know, some of you may be going, why are we celebrating an anniversary for a month? It is a huge deal. It's a huge milestone in the life of this church family. A couple of years ago, Cross Timbers Community Church out in Argyle and Denton and Keller, we celebrated 10 years together. And I just have such warm memories of that season of remembering what God has done but believing that the, our best uh, days are in front of us, believing that, you know, God doesn't make cruise control. We're going to step on the gas. This area needs Christ, amen? This area needs the saving power of Jesus Christ, and nobody can do it on their own. And so as I watch today, my friends John and Matt, and get to be here with Ron and, and you guys today, I, I feel such a partnership in the kingdom and in what God is doing. You know, just quickly, as Ron said, I, he came to Cross Timbers, and uh, some of you know Kent Sparks that was on my staff Helped you guys out for a while, and uh, he was overdressed. I called last night. I texted Ron, and I said, "Hey, man, I forgot to ask you. I want to honor your culture. You know what? How do you need to dress today?" And he said, "Clean jeans and a shirt." So I made it, Ron. I really did. These are clean. I got them out today. Hey, uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a little bitty church that here was the message: "Come to Jesus, so you won't go to hell." Anybody besides me get that? Come on now, two hands if you're charismatic. How I many of you got that growing up? Come to Jesus so you won't go to hell. And they told me that was good news. And uh, so for me, Jesus became this little life insurance policy. You know, I'm going to walk an aisle. I'm going to fill out a card. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to get dunked in some water. And maybe if I'm good enough, I won't go to hell one day. What, what an awful way to live, by the way, eh? What an awful way to live. And then I, I did this crazy thing when I got in my 20s. I started reading the Bible for myself. I mean, it's the craziest thing in the world. I started Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I began to see that the good news of Jesus was simply more than come to me so that you won't go to hell. It was come to me and I will give you life abundantly. I'm going to give you fresh water that it, that it will never stop flowing. I'm going to give you the bread that you can eat of and never be hungry. And here's the problem. I wasn't experiencing what Jesus was promising. I just knew I wasn't going to hell because I gave my life to Jesus. And I began to read about a kingdom. Jesus, when He comes, you remember, He says, the kingdom of God is here. And I began to understand that the flourishing life that Jesus offered, listen, it was never going to be my experience until I began to operate in the kingdom of God that He was, that he was inviting me into. Here's the problem. The kingdom of God, this way of living, this way of thinking, this way of operating, is an unseen kingdom. And the kingdom of this world is a world that is a kingdom that I can see every day. And so I've spent the last 30 plus years of my life trying to understand what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to live not just a getting by life, not just a further along, we'll know all about it kind of life, but a life of victory? Listen, that Jesus said ought to be normative for every believer. How do you begin to live that way? Well, you've got to begin to operate in a way that it's different than the kingdom that you can see. Everybody with me so far, just say, yeah, I'm with you. Listen, I'm going to preach. The, the quieter you are, the longer I'm going to talk. So you better, like, get on it, okay? Uh, now, and, and here's the thing. When you see the miracles of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the most unbelievable miracles, there's only two reasons Jesus did them. Only two. Number one, because He loved people. And number two, He said, I want to show you how the kingdom that you cannot see really works. 
I want to show you how the kingdom that you cannot see, how it really works. And every miracle that Jesus did, He did it to show you and me, here's how the kingdom of God works. And so I'm going to ask you two questions all morning. Okay? So here's the first question. Is the Bible true? Okay? And is Jesus real? Okay? So... If the Bible's true and Jesus is real, then these illustrations of the kingdom, listen, they're really, really important. And they are as relevant as this morning's Dallas Morning News. So I want to show you my favorite, by far, kingdom parable, a, a, a story where Jesus begins to show us, here's what it looks like to operate in the kingdom and receive the life here on earth that you've been promised. It's in Luke chapter 9. For many of you, it's a very familiar story. It's called the feeding of the... What, y'all don't read the Bible? Or y'all just ain't talking back to what? The feeding of the 5,000, right? The Bible says in Luke chapter 9, when the apostles returned, it's important to understand where they have been. When the apostles returned, they have been on their first big business trip. How many business trips anybody in here been on? Anybody been on a business trip? What, nobody works? What's up? Okay, so you go on a business trip, and I travel quite a bit. I travel internationally, and I travel around this country a lot. And those of you who go on business trips, tell me what your state of mind is when you come home from a business trip. Let me tell you something, dude. I'm just tired. I, I mean, I'm, I'm almost 49 years old. I'm not as old as I look. I'm just bald. And, uh, but, man, the older I get, like, when I go out of town, I can't sleep in somebody else's bed. It takes me two nights to sleep in somebody else's bed. So I, I don't get enough sleep. I'm usually wherever I am, whether I'm in India or Africa or California. Where, it doesn't matter where I am. It takes me two days to get to start sleeping. And, you know, it's not mama's cooking and you're not in your own bed. And so you're kind of restless. And then you finally get home. And how do you feel when you get home? Here's how I feel. I don't want to talk to anybody. Okay? I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit in my chair Watch what God created on the eighth day, ESPN. <laughs> Have Micah cook me something to eat, and I want everybody to leave me alone. I know, I'm just being honest. Anybody else ever feel that way when you come home? This, you understand, this is how the disciples felt. They've been on a long business trip, and they come back, and the Bible says when they return, they reported to Jesus what they had done. You've got to love this about Christ. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He says, let's go away for a while. You just need to rest. He's taking them on a retreat. And he takes them on a retreat to this town, and they get to the town, and the crowd follows them. Now, what do you think the disciples, take it off the gold line page of your Bible and put it in reality. What are they thinking? Oh, I'm so glad these people are here. Let's have a big church meeting. We just got back from a long church meeting. Let's let, come on. Let's let's do something. Maybe maybe a revival will break out. They're thinking, oh great, we come on a retreat and we got to work. We come on this retreat and we got to work. It says he welcomed them. Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. <laughs> Don't miss this. Late in the afternoon, Jesus doesn't cut it off early. Sorry, Ron, but there's no clock. He's got to watch. You got tired, frustrated, impatient. Uh, beat down disciples who thought they were going to retreat and now they've got to work. And it says he, he, Jesus preaches all day. He preaches all day. Now, the longer he preaches, the more frustrated I believe his disciples become. Not because they're bad people, they're just normal people and they're tired and they want to go have a rest. And so they come to Jesus, it says in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. Now, you know how they said this, right? They were in church and they're deacons and so they're like, 
bless these poor people's heart. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. These guys don't have anything to eat anywhere. Jesus, could we send them away? What they really meant was, we're tired, we're hungry. Get these people out of here so we can get something to eat and we can get some rest. And so Jesus looks at them, the Bible says, and he says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, I want you to understand, now Jesus is about to show them how the kingdom of God works. So he says, you go out among the people. Now, the Bible tells us, and if you've ever read the Bible, you'll know this. The Bible tells us there's 5,000 people. That means there's 5,000 men. Okay? Most scholars would tell us there's at least 20,000 people. Because they didn't count the women. Ladies, don't get mad at me. It's just how it rolled in those days. They got about 20,000 people. And he says, why don't you go pull the people and, and see uh, what they've got to eat? Now, how long would it take you to go among 20,000 people with no microphones, no, way, no, no other way than one by one, say, anybody got something to eat? And so about 10,000 times, you got something to eat? No. You got something to eat? No. You got... They found one little boy. A little boy. And the Bible says that he had five, he had five little old snack cakes, five little old cornbread muffins, and two sardines. Got five loaves and two fishes, and they think they're off the hook. They think they're off the hook. Now, this is important for you to understand. I'm going to tell you something that's deeply complex that you've never heard before. This is a deeply theological term. They did not have enough. There were 20,000 people, and they had five little pieces of bread and two little fish. Do you understand they did not have enough? He gets it. Let me tell you why that's important. Because I don't know, Ron, it may be different here at Rock Point, but at Cross Timbers, I'm around lots of people who never have enough. I just don't have people come to me and go, Pastor Toby, i got so much extra time. Can you tell me what to do with it? I, I don't meet people that have enough time. i, I got people that are... Anybody in here feel like they're like an ATM and a shuttle service? That's just their life, Right? That's just your life. You're just an ATM. That's all you. They, they don't have enough time. I, I've never. I've never. I've been doing this thing twelve years, twenty five years in public ministry. I've never once had somebody come to me and say, "Hey, Toby, I got more money than I know what to do with. Can you tell me what to do with it?" I meet people that don't have enough. I very rarely have ever had someone come to me and say, "Man, I feel so gifted and so talented, and, and I feel so full of the Spirit and so equipped to do something." I want you to let me do this. What happens to me is I go to people and say, man, here's an area of ministry. Here's a way we're going to launch. Here's what we're going to do. And I think you're the person to do it. And they say, oh, I'm not. They get the Moses thing, not me, man. I don't have, the, I don't have enough gifting. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough wisdom. Okay, I'm talking to people in the Metroplex of America in 2012 that don't have enough. And so here's the question. In a kingdom that you cannot see... How do you operate when you don't have enough? Okay, you with me here? This is important. And Jesus, what you got to love about Jesus as a teacher, he doesn't, show, he doesn't just tell you, He shows you. So He says, bring to me what you've got. Bring to me what is not enough. Okay? And so they bring Him. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you how it works. And the Bible says, He takes one of these little old loaves of bread, this little old cornbread muffin, He breaks it in half, he asks God, would you bless this to your glory? Now check this out. He hands one piece to Peter, and he has one piece to John, and he says, go get it, boys. Now, 
Take off your church face and you tell me what you're going to do if you haven't eaten all day and there's 20,000 people out there to feed and you got a half of a half. You understand, these guys weren't going, this is so awesome, it's going to be in the Bible someday. That's not how they were thinking. What are you going to do? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the first. Because he makes them, the Bible tells you, if you read that story in detail, he, he, he organizes them in groups of 50. Nobody ever talks about this. How long does it take to get 50,000 church people, or 20,000 church people in groups of 50? You guys are like herding cats, you know? I mean, and he gets you in a group. And I'm going to tell you, if I went to the group, the first thing I would do is I would take that little half of a half, and I'd tell you guys, let's pray. And as we begin to pray, I'd start doing this. And you know what? Peter and John could have done that. Listen, and if they would have done it, they would have been satisfied for a moment. See, see, when you don't have enough time, and so here's what you do with your time, you never have enough time. Do you understand this? That when you don't have enough money, and you take what you have, by the way, which isn't enough, which is the point. And you go, you never have enough money. When you take your gifting, what God has created you, fashioned you to do, and use it all for you, you'll never be saying you take what you have, which is not enough, and you break it in half, and you give it to somebody else. Listen, you release a miracle in your life. You release a miracle in your life. And so here's my question. Because I, I see some of you. Contrary to what you think, me and Ron, we're not b- blind when we stand up here. We really can see you. I have people at Cross Timbers all the time. Pastor, that was a great sermon. Dude, I could see you. You were sleeping. What do you mean it was a great sermon? But here's what I see out there. when I, every, I go all over the country, Ron, talking about this. Here's what I see. Here's my question. Is the Bible true? And is Jesus real? then why are we all doing this? See, I just believe that from reading the New Testament, the mark of spiritual health, the mark of a person, the primary mark of a person that is flourishing in this kingdom you cannot see is someone who's generous. It's generosity. And everybody look at me. I want you to hear me. If you don't listen to anything else I say, I want you to hear me say this. When I say generosity, you think money. I wish it was just about money. Wouldn't it be easy? I mean, really? If generosity was just about money, I'm just going to text 97329 to American Idol. I'm going to give some kid on the other side of the world a mosquito net, and I'm going to be done with it. I'm going to go live my life. I wish, I wish generosity... Generosity is about a mindset that says everything I have, every moment, every material possession, every gift I have is God's, and it's never going to be enough. And so this, as soon as this happens, I'm going to start doing this stuff that we all play the game of. When I take what I have that's not enough, and when I break it in half, I will release a miracle. I'm going to release a miracle. The mark of spiritual health is generosity... For God is the one, 2 Corinthians 9, who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity. you see this? God gives it all. He's going to increase your resources. Why? Not so you can do this, but so you can do this. That's the point. 
Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So it's good, two good things will result from this ministry of generosity or giving. The needs of believers will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. The mark of a believer is someone who, trembling but trusting, says, I'm going to take what I have that's not enough and I'm going to make sure I'm a blessing to somebody else. And the question before the house today is, why don't we live this way? And the answer is because we're scared. Our biggest ambush is fear. In this area of our life, we are scared that if we take our time that we don't have enough of and we give it to someone else, we're not going to have enough time. And if we take our resources that are limited, I wish I had time to just like completely go off on this, but let me tell you something, man. The good news about our economy is that the bad news is wrong. Do you understand? Our provider does not, is, is not in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Do you understand this? Do you understand that, that He's always been the Lord, He will always be the Lord? And that I don't care what current... I'm, I'm, I'm a business guy. I have a business degree. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to tell you something. Some of you businessmen and women need to begin to believe the Bible more than you begin to believe the Wall Street Journal. Because you are being, listen, one of the enemy's greatest tools in your life is to scare you. If he can get you to do this, he's got you around the throat. He's got you around the throat. And so I want to just show you just quickly today, in the next couple of minutes, I want to, I want to show you three principles from, from Scripture about, that, about uh, this concept of being generous. What can release you from fear? And then I want to tell you a quick story and we'll be done, Okay. Everybody say, okay, or we won't be done very quick, okay? So in the kingdom of God, in a kingdom that you cannot see, as it relates to this open-handed living, a spirit of generosity, number one, write this down, the pressure is off. The pressure is off. Which, which is great news because so many of you feel so much pressure, don't you? You feel pressure. A quick, just a really quick story. I have a, a, a son-in-law. He, my, my daughter's been married for... A, about 14 months, and Ron and I were talking about this just this week. He uh, uh, he was an, he was a co- collegiate football player at Oklahoma State University. Little boy, about six five, three oh seven, uh, was named the Big 12 Offensive Lineman of the Year last year. It, it's, Oklahoma State had a big year, go Pokes, and uh, has been in training camp with the Washington Redskins. Uh, which I know some of you don't like the Redskins. I could care less. I want the boy to get paid. I need a grandkid. Uh, <laughs> And, 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 and two days ago, as most of you that follow the NFL know, there were final, there were final roster cuts, and my son-in-law was released. Okay, uh, and he's 25 years old, or 20, 23 years old now. He's 23 years old, and he's got a wife, and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. And he said, "Toby, I want you to help me figure out what to do, and, I, and uh, I'm going to help him figure out what to do." But I said, "Grant, I want you to understand something." Any decision you make about your future based on fear is not from God. Because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and I'll take care of everything else. So here's my question to you. Is the Bible true and is Jesus real? Then the Bible says, if, you are, if your priority is the kingdom, if you're centering your life around the kingdom, if you're trying to live the way Jesus illustrated that you ought to live in the kingdom, he's going to take care of everything else. Is it possible that you're feeling pressure because you're chasing everything else and you haven't yet found the kingdom? 
as the room goes silent. Here in consumer hotbed of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. See, to me, pressure is an indication that I'm not seeking the kingdom first. That I'm living in a kingdom I can see. I'm not operating the kingdom that I cannot see. It's a warning light on the dashboard of my life. It's a good. It's a great warning light. But when I was a kid and the warning light went off, went off in my car, I thought, well, the light's broken, and I just kept driving. Let me tell you something. For some of you, the warning light is going off, and you you just keep driving. And what God's saying to you is, man, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And no matter what uncertainty you face, live under the principles of the kingdom, and I will take care of everything else. I'll take care of everything else. The, the, the pressure is off. Number two, today, this, this is where I really lose the businessmen and women. I'm just going to say it before I get into it. But in, in the kingdom of God, subtraction always brings addition. Subtraction in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom you can see, but in the kingdom you can't. Subtraction always brings addition. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this, Give and you might receive. Oh, wait, is that wrong? Oh, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Look, the enemy always works in extremes. You get this, right? And we live in a culture of religious extremes where somebody says, some TV dude says, give me this and I'm going to take care of all your, you know, and you're going to get it back tenfold. And so we react against a prosperity gospel that says God wants you to be happy, God wants you to have a new car, you know, God wants your house to be bigger. If you'll just sow seeds in this ministry, your house is going to get bigger. But we have responded too far away from the truth of the gospel, which is this. When you give, you're going to receive. You don't give to receive, but I, well, I don't give to receive, but I give expecting to receive. And lots of times it ain't money. It's something a lot better. Something a lot better. So I was going to bring like a sermon illustration, but every time I do it, it, it I mess it up. So we're going to do a fake sermon illustration today quickly, okay? So I have in my hands a pie. A pie. What kind of pie is it? Chocolate. Come on, brother. You right there, man. Chocolate. Okay, I'm going to cut this. Not in some little girly, you know, Mimi's Cafe. I mean, I'm going full meal deal. These are six man-sized pieces of pie. Who wants a piece of pie? Okay, so here's a piece for you. And I gave him a piece. How many I got left? Five. Okay, and now I'll give you a piece. And how many I got left? Okay, hey, hey, brother, sit down. It's not real pie. Look, he's like shaking his leg. Okay, so you keep going, and it gets down, and you have one piece of pie left, right? Now, here's the deal. I'm a good guy. I love Jesus. I want to be generous. But if I give you my last piece of pie, I don't have any pie left. This is what most people, this is how we live. I mean, come on, Toby, use your brain. Well, in the, is the Bible real and is Jesus, is, is the Bible true and is Jesus real? Well, if he's real, then it means when I give you a piece of pie, I don't have five left. I have at least six left. And if I give, the more pie I give you, the bigger my pieces of pie become. In the kingdom, subtraction means addition. So here's the deal. I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to do this anymore. My only job is see a need and fill it. And when I see a need and fill it, use my time, use my money. It ain't my car. It's God's car. Somebody needs to borrow my car? You can have my car. It's not my house. It's God's house. Need a place to stay? Come on, stay with me for a while. 
You understand? It's the most freeing way to live your life. If you believe that the Bible's true and Jesus is real, you can't outgive God. He's going to bless you. And you don't do it to get a blessing, but you do it believing you're going to get a blessing. Subtraction means addition. And then finally, generosity means real life. And this is what I've been trying to tell you. Generosity equals real life. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Some of you came today for just this very moment to understand that you don't have to wrench blessings out of God's hands. You may grew up like I did with this view of an angry God who just, you got to, if I hold my mouth right, if I pray long enough, if I fast long enough, then maybe I can just get some. Look, it gives God great pleasure. He was the original living like this guy. He, was the, he, he epitomizes open-handed living. Sell your position, possessions. Give to those in need. This will store it for you treasures in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. But wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your house will be also. You know, uh, the economy tanked. How many years ago was it, guys? Gals? 2008, the economy tanks. Uh, I had so many businessmen, businesswomen in my church coming up to me and going, man, Toby, you don't understand. It's tough out there. You know what my response became? Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but nonprofits suffer in a down economy too. We're not sitting around trying to figure out what to do with all our money. In fact, what happened in 2008 when the economy tanked and everybody got seized with fear, because that's how the enemy works, just just scare you, the needs at Cross Timber started going this way. And the amount of resources coming in started going this way. And uh, I, I, honestly, I got seized with fear. It scared me. We had a, a meeting with my financial board, and and they said, man, we're, we're going to have to cut back in ministry. We're going to have to make some staff cuts. We're going to have to cut back the amount of help we give people because the needs are going this way and the amount of money coming in is going this way. And here's the deal. I have very, very wise, very wise people gathered around on our financial board. And, uh, I mean, these are Fortune 500 company leaders, men and women. But what what was in my craw was how in the world can can we as the needs are getting greater, according to what I've read in the Bible, how, how can we do that? And, and I, I, uh, I have anxiety issues. This is no secret. I've been in, written books and been on television about my battles with panic and anxiety disorder. And that was the last time I recall 2008 that I really be- was becoming overwhelmed with it, not sleeping at night. And those of you who have anxiety and panic, which is probably most of this room, if it's true what I hear. But... Uh, I was becoming overwhelmed with it, and my wife knew it. My daughter was home from college for a few days, and she said, hey, it was a Monday morning, she said, why don't, why don't we go meet for breakfast, and you just chill out for a while. And there's a little place in Denton called, called Old West Cafe. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of it, but if you haven't, it's just, you know, Denton, I live in Denton. Denton's weird, man. We, you know, we hug trees, we eat bark. I mean, it's crazy, little town. And this is just this little greasy spoon restaurant she said and that where everybody sits like right by each other there's like a hundred you know there's a hundred seats and there ought to be 40 and so we go into this place and honestly I, I went into place to medicate i wasn't drinking alcohol i wasn't you know i wasn't i wasn't uh 
I wasn't looking at stuff on the internet. I shouldn't look at it. I was just going to go eat pancakes until I couldn't eat anymore. I'm just going to go medicate with food. And we go into this restaurant and we start eating. I'm not saying a word. And this guy comes and sits behind me. Guy sits behind me. Now understand, for those of you who haven't been in these little greasy diners in a long time, I have to explain this when I go to other parts of the country because they don't get it. But I'm sitting here and this dude is sitting right here, right? And all of a sudden he starts talking on his cell phone loudly. Uh, I guess the best way to put it is he's not speaking in the original King James. <laughs> the blankety-blank employment commission sent me to the wrong blankety-blank place for an interview. It was my last blankety-blank bus ticket, and it's blankety-blank raining. I got my blankety-blank good clothes on, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's, he's going on and on and cursing and talking about what the employment commission has done, and he's stuck here. And my wife looks at me and says... Because she can tell I'm getting kind of riled up about it. And she says, you need to buy this guy breakfast. I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit. I'll buy him breakfast. Why not? My life stinks anyway. So I send her and my daughter home. We're in separate cars. And I turn around and I said, hey, dude, um, like I, I wasn't eavesdropping. You were just like three inches from my ear and screaming. And it sounds like you've had a tough day. Could I buy you breakfast? And he goes, oh, no. I go, seriously, just let me buy breakfast. And he immediately he calls the waiter over and says, I like steak and eggs. You know, he switched his order, and, which was fine. And he, and he eats breakfast, and I start talking to him. And as he finishes eating breakfast and telling me a little bit of his story, and his name is Randy, and he's replaying the whole thing about getting sent to the wrong place by the Employment Commission. I said, well, dude, what are you going to do? It's raining. And he said, well, I'm supposed to have an interview over at the mall at J.C. Penney or something. I said, well, let me give you a ride. So we get in the car. We start driving toward the mall, and he says, what do you do for a living? Now, I don't tell people what I do for a living because they start treating me weird. Uh, and so I told him, Ron, what most people think about us. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, not much. Ah, <laughs> uh, not much. That's what they think anyway, right? Well, where do you live? And I said, well, I live in a little town called Argyle because then I still lived in Argyle. And he said, well, do you work in Argyle? I go, yeah. And he goes, well, man, what do you do down there? There's nothing down in Argyle. And I said, yeah, I know, it's a tough town, whatever. And so we talked for a while, and then he finally goes, he said, do you ever heard of a church called Cross Timbers Community Church? Yeah, I've heard of it. You ever go there? Yeah, I go pretty regular. And uh, I got an aunt and uncle that go there, and da-da-da. And so we're talking, and finally we get to the J.C. Penney. And he looks at me, and he goes, what did you say you do for a living? And I said, well, I, I teach. I'm a, I'm a teaching pastor. I'm a lead pastor. And he goes, I'm bald-headed, I'm, and... It's kind of a joke around our church about me being bald headed. He goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're the pastor of that church. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe the pastor of that church would be Oh, my. And I said, hang on, man. God hears you, so you can stop that. But I looked at him, and I said, I said, Randy, listen. I didn't, like, give you a ride and, and give you buy your breakfast because I'm a pastor. I said, honestly, I bought your breakfast because my wife made me. But I said, man, as I hear your story, I think the Lord put you in my life today because I'm about to have a pretty big meeting in our church tonight. And I, I think the Lord's trying to speak to me. And he cried and I cried and prayed for him and he got out of the car and I went back home. And I remember sitting in my garage, I had a little car with a sunroof and I opened the sunroof because I guess I didn't think God could hear me with the sunroof. But I was like, okay, Lord, I get it. And we went to that, that meeting that night, the board meeting of our church and... Uh, and I said, guys, I said, man, I'm not dealing the God card on you because I, I, I think people abuse that. But I really think the Lord spoke today. 
And I said, man, I think our response needs to be to this economy and all of this stuff. Is I think we need to take everything we got in our savings account. We need to give it away. Let me tell you a story about a guy I met today, and I think there's hundreds of these guys around here, and, and we need to help them. And miracle of all miracles, my Fortune 500 business guys all said, if you believe the Lord's saying it, let's do it. And so over the next six weeks, we gave away $632,000. We gave away everything we had. We called up all the single moms in our church, and we just gave them money. We said, if you are unemployed or underemployed, we'll pay your, your electricity bills for the next month, no questions asked. Just bring us the bill, and we'll pay it. Uh, I, I mean, I could go on. We did, there were several things that we did. We, we gave every family that our family, somebody from our family brought on Easter. Nobody knew this was happening, even the people that brought them. But we gave every family that was unemployed and didn't have a church home $500. Uh, we, we started giving our offerings away. And here's what we found. We found that God has a bigger shovel than we do. We found that Jesus was real and the Bible was true. We didn't have enough, and that was the point. And as we began to give it out, God began to bring it in. It was the craziest thing. Ron knows the story, man. Uh, CNN picked it up. I was on Fox and Friends. And we, didn't, we don't send out press releases. I just heard about it. I heard about it on Twitter, if you can believe it. And all of a sudden, like, I'm, I'm on Fox and Friends. What are those morning people's names? I've never watched that show. But, you know, the morning folks, and they're going, why would you do this? And, and, and here's what I said to them. I, I'm longing for a day when, when that, this isn't national news. This is just what the church does. That we all just kind of live like this. And what I'd love to tell you today is we did that, and now we don't know what to do with all our money. But I think God likes us too much to give us that problem. You know what? We still don't have enough. I think that's the point. But we're, we have learned and are learning how to live like this with our time. And if we had time, I could tell you bunches of stories. We have mechanics who fix single moms and single dads' cars for free. We fixed over 700 last year, gave away 27 cars. Uh, we joined forces with an organization that we created called Hope for North Texas. Last year, we gave over 12,000 volunteer hours back in our community. It's kind of the, it's become the focus of who we are. We have stated that we want to be known as one of the most generous churches in America because Jesus is real and the Bible is true, and we have found that it's a better way to live our life. Uh, and this was a hard lesson for me to learn because everything within my DNA has been wired up to do this to do this. And as you move into the next 10 years of ministry here at Rock Point Church, I just want to encourage you that Rock Point Church needs to be known as one of those most generous churches in America. If there's somebody that needs a helping hand, this is the place that it's going to get done. That this is going to be a place in Flower Mound, Texas where hope and help and healing comes in the name of Jesus. And guess how a church gets generous? People start living like this, believing that the Bible is true and that Jesus is real and that you can't outgive God and that the more you pour out, the more He's going to bless your life and you start living free and easy. And guess what happens? You experience water 
where you never grow thirsty again, and you start experiencing bread where you never grow hunger again. And it doesn't mean there's an absence of problems, but there is a peace that passes understanding, and it is well with your soul. Because there is someone in charge of your life. Look at me. It ain't you. It's him. It's the way you were created to live. Let's pray together. Lord, I am so grateful that you chose to live with an open hand. That the reason we come today, the reason we sing, the reason we celebrate is because you gave your son, Jesus. You gave him freely. You gave him to us. And Father, I would pray that that among the Rock Point Church over the next ten years, that there would be a peace that would characterize the people of this church. That there would be a spirit of generosity, open-handed living, where people would uh, would would learn to live the invitation you give. Come to me, all of you who are weary, pressured, heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. We pray for that rest in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. Amen.